two scriptures this morning. Um, the first is Daniel 1, 1 through 8, and that's found in page 805 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. So Daniel 1, 1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure house of his God, put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The second and last scripture is Daniel 6, 3 to 10. That's found on page 812. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Meds and Parisians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. wanted to share with you something I've learned lately, but you'll have to put up with my very limited drawing. That's what this uh, thing on the side is. So typically, if you're asked to draw a picture of a, someone's face, 
This is how we do it. We draw a circle for the head, right? Two eyes and a smile and maybe some hair. Oh, yeah, ears. Not the greatest picture, right? But it gets, get, gives you the idea of what we're trying to do. Now, I learned that if you added... Let's see if I can do this. Oh, let's flip it over. If you added some guidelines, you can actually make a little bit of a better picture. So if you have a, a simple face shape here, and maybe some simple lines, and then you begin building around that, and then some hair. Well, hopefully it's a little better than the first one, right? But I also learned that that's still very flat and two-dimensional. There is another way I discovered. YouTube is very powerful, okay? Uh, build something like this. All right. And then you start drawing. Actually, I put it in the wrong place, but... You can fill in. And then some hair. Hairline. And it's a little bit better, right? No, you're not very impressed. Okay, that's okay. Well, the point is, is that what I learned was when you don't have guidelines, it doesn't turn out as nice as when you have guidelines, right? Uh, so, again, thanks for putting up with my very limited artistic skill. Whether you're an artist or a designer using sketch lines for, your, for drawings, or whether you're a musician using sc uh, scales and chords as building blocks for the music you're trying to convey, uh, we all can benefit from some framework for our, uh, the things that we want to do. So I'm going to tell you, we all need a BFF. Yes, we all benefit from having a best friend forever, but I'm not talking about that kind of BFF today. I'm talking about a best framework for flourishing. A best framework for flourishing. Just like a framework helps us draw a face that conveys the truest image of the face in the mind of the artist, a, there's a framework that we can build for our spiritual life that helps convey the truest image of ourselves as in light of the living God, the greatest artist in the world who has created us. And so now there are different names for this, and uh, Kristen alluded to this earlier in the service. You may have come across it as a rule of life, which is kind of carried through uh, the Christian uh, tradition. And Dallas Willard is an author and talks about spiritual formation, and he calls it a curriculum in Christ-likeness. Uh, John Ortberg, a, a pastor in the Bay Area, uh, calls it a, a game plan for morphing. So I'm calling it a BFF because that's easy to remember. Last week, we learned about these two important anchors that help us become the best version of ourselves, at least in this life uh, that we're experiencing now, through the practice of daily office and Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath. And so today, we're going to look and close out this emotionally healthy living message series by looking at some other practices and disciplines that make up this framework for flourishing in our spiritual, in our emotional, and in our relational health. Now, there are, of course, many different practices, and I'm not going to cover them all. And there's different disciplines that help us in this endeavor. So that's why we need a BFF. And the goal of a BFF is not just to have a BFF. 
The goal of a BFF is so that have some sort of intention and a conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that we do. It's a framework for our lives to nurture this attentiveness to God and how he is working in our lives and around our lives. Uh, in Peter Cesaro's words, who I've relied on greatly in, in this series, uh, the series, he says, the starting point and foundation of any rule or framework is a desire to be with God and to love him. That's the goal of why we're doing this. Now, we heard the words of Jesus and also from the, uh, God's words to Israel through Moses in Deuteronomy passage that was read earlier during our musical singing time. Uh, and G- people came to Jesus asking, what's the most important rule? What's the most important law that we have to follow? Right? What's the most important framework for our lives? What's the guiding principle that kind of sets all the other priorities? And, and Jesus answered them, well, to love God and to love neighbor as yourself. And one of these goals of this series is to become this best version of ourselves as we pay attention to the emotional health uh, in light of who Jesus is, because we believe that he is the one who gives us the best example of that. And it's in this best version of ourselves that we can truly love God and to love people around us as we have intended, uh, been, as God has intended for us. So when we have this BFF that helps nurture loving God and loving neighbors, then our lives become this invaluable gift to others and to the world. So I'm going to walk through this in three points. Uh, one is a countercultural framework. Second is a framework to help us flourish. And lastly, a best framework for flourishing. So countercultural, a framework, and a BFF. So we just heard David read from the book of Daniel. And we heard that Daniel was this exceptionally talented young man who, together with his friends, were taken into captivity uh, in the Babylon- when the Babylonian Empire took over the ancient Near East. And as empires uh, conquered lands, what they would typically do was they would take the best and brightest young people, as well as people of influence, and take them out of their homeland so that they could be under the watch of uh, the conquering empire. In some ways, it's a way of controlling and also preventing an uprising from capable people in the land that they conquered. And so they would indoctrinate them in the ways of the empire to prevent this uprising. And they would provide talented young men like Daniel and his friends with the best education and the best life to win them over to Babylonian culture and literature so that they would be eventually loyal to the ways of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon rather than the ways of the living God. The king even gave them new names, new identities to form them. Get rid of any distinctiveness as a follower of the living God, and absorb them into Babylonian culture. But Daniel was steadfast to hold on to what he considered most important for him, and he chose not to eat the food that the Babylonians ate, and he continued this daily rhythm of prayer to the living God. Rather than bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel and his friends chose to keep their Jewish names. They continued to eat their food, and their, their, this rhythm of food and spirituality was incredibly countercultural at his time. They're particularly countercultural in light of the fact of that his, the fight, fact that his freedom and education and his privilege were on the line because he knew because he trusted in the value of nurturing this relationship with the living God. Daniel knew that without this framework for his interior life, he would be eaten chewed up, and spit out by this beast of Babylon. 
So he had a framework for order, orienting his interior life to help him blossom into this extraordinarily godly individual who helped, who flourished in a hostile environment. Now we live in a culture, <clears throat> excuse me, that is constantly pushing against our spiritual flourishing well, and physical and emotional flourishing. This is not a tirade <clears throat> to start culture wars, but it's an acknowledgement that much of our society and our wider culture distracts us from attending to a core part of our being, our interior life that is so integral to our emotional and spiritual health. With 24-hour shift work, pressure to compete academically or professionally, constantly being plugged into our devices and social media and messaging, feeling the demands to building a retirement nest egg, and staying abreast of the current thought leaders through podcasts that we listen to, to pause and to reflect on our emotional and spiritual health seems to be really counterintuitive. And it is. So we need this framework that helps us attend to this bigger framework of loving God and loving our neighbor. So how does this look like? <clears throat> From the end of the 3rd to the 5th century, women and men often withdrew uh, from society to the deserts of Egypt, Syria, Palestine, Arabia, to seek God. In these communities, they formed these daily rhythms of work. Oh, thanks, David. I'm just going to shut this off for a second. <clears throat> I'll talk about one of these things that I did yesterday, but I went and did this big bicycle ride yesterday, and it got my lungs like all like ag agitated. So, so that's why I'm kind of not functioning 100% here. So these 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 groups of people would withdraw into the desert to seek God, and they would have these daily rhythms of work and of prayer and the study of Scripture. They called this plan a, a rule of life or a BFF in our case. Pacomius wrote the first known rule of life in his monastic community in the 3rd century in Egypt. And then in the 6th century, Benedict wrote the rule of St. Benedict, which has really impacted the, the Christian uh, world for the next 1,500 years until now. And they had this luxury to withdraw from significant, uh, significantly from wider culture. But most of us don't, in this, uh, don't have this ability to withdraw in the same way. But what we can do is have this framework that helps us to structure our lives to allow those spaces to happen. A framework helps us begin to integrate our spirituality in all parts of our lives. And not just to consider it as one compartment of many that we just kind of pack in on a Sunday morning or on 10 minutes on a, on a weekday. Henry Nouwen put it this way. A framework offers creative boundaries within which God's loving presence can be recognized and celebrated in all parts of our lives. And he says this, it does not prescribe, but invites. It does not force, but guides. It does not instill fear, but points to love. It is a call to freedom, freedom to love, providing the practical steps to love God and neighbor. So as you hear framework, I know, like, you know, we don't like to hear, like, you're imposing some structure on me and, you know, all this other stuff. This is just guidelines for you to help you flourish. So as you consider a framework for yourself, consider these four maybe categories or quadrants. Uh, yeah, God, 
rest, activity, or work, and relationships. So as you think of this God quadrant, what kind of regular practices and disciplines are you incorporating to nurture a relationship with God? We're going to talk about some more of those. But these are just questions to help you begin thinking about these quadrants in your lives. And just think about your time, your activity that you spent, the things that you do routinely. How do you grow in knowing God's character? What kind of practices help you pay attention to what God is saying to you? Think about those kind of things that you build into your, your routines. And what about for rest? It's over here, right? <laughs> what kind of regular practices do you have in place to disconnect and rest? And how do you get energized? Not, not just distracted, because there's a difference in that, right? You can be distracted with your phone or watching Netflix, but that's not really energizing you. And then down below here, we have activity and work. What kind of regular practices do you have to develop yourself in whether it's paid work or it's learning something new, an unpaid work? How do you sacrifice, uh, work sacrificially through service and mission? How do you nurture care of your physical body whose health is essential for continued work in the rest of your, your life? Some categories and questions. If you think about your life, like what practices do you have in those, in those three areas? And lastly, relationships. Relationships take work. What routines or practices do you have in place to address the various circles of relationships in your lives? What kind of practices do you have to attend to your emotional health? Investing in your family. Investing in your neighbors around you. And I wonder if there's any relationships that actually need to be invested in that you've kind of pushed off to the side. And this is some ways of building a framework for attending to these four areas that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But as we're just looking at this screen right now, I wonder which area you find yourself drawn towards or saying, yeah, you know, I need to pay a little bit more attention to that. I wonder what I can do to build some framework to build health in that area. And just keep that there as we continue. You know, the goal of life is to dwell in this deep communion and relationship with the living God and to be firmly anchored in our union with him. See, if God's domain were merely just a spiritual realm, then we would only think about this first quadrant. But God's domain is over entire creation. And the God, great story of Scripture is that God is above all, and he's involved in all part of the created order, including every part of our lives. So to flourish in all parts of the human experience, we're invited to pay attention to the living God and his work in all these areas. And so this framework helps us integrate our core commitments in all parts of our lives on a routine basis, rather than being at the whim of all these demands and crises that come into our lives. And those, of course, will happen. But the framework provides a strong enough anchor for when those storms come. Our emotional health is often most frail when we don't have these structures in place that strengthen our sense of identity and our closeness with Jesus. So, a best framework for flourishing. A BFF is this intentional pattern of spiritual disciplines that provides structure and direction for growth in Christ-like character. And these disciplines 
are what we build into this rhythm of life to shed off our old selves and allow these new selves in Christ to be formed. And ultimately, this framework helps us to love God and to love neighbor more as we have been created to. Now, I want you to note, it's not the best framework for all people. It's not even the best framework for you, for your, for your life. It's a framework for where you're at now to take you where God wants you to be. And when we say a framework, that means it can change. So here's the framework, kind of how I've placed it. Some things, is it too small? But within the God category, there's these areas, and these can change, okay? Uh, scripture, silence and solitude, daily office, which we talked about last week, which includes prayer, and study. Those are the kind of disciplines, practices that help nurture our connection with God. Under rest, we have, you know, uh, Sabbath, which is parking one day of the week, 24 hours, to rest and disconnect. Simplicity, a life of simplicity. How do we carve out things in our lives that don't add to the stress and play in recreation? And under activity and work, there's service and mission, care for the physical body, and developing and growing yourself. And under relationships, there's this emotional health, family, and friends for the journey. So we talked about last week these two course practices of Sabbath and daily office that our culture really tends to miss out on. And in this framework, I placed them under the categories of God and rest. And in case you missed them, you can just hop online, wcfchurch.org slash sermons, and catch up on, on the, that message and the rest of the series as well. So daily office, if you didn't, weren't here last week, is this nurturing, uh, a practice of nurturing attentiveness to God's presence throughout the day. So, and, and, and it's not primarily talking about God, no, to God about your needs and requests, but it's about identifying where you're at at that moment and paying attention to where God is at and how he's meeting you. And the practice of Sabbath is pausing from our paid and unpaid work to find refreshment in God. And so that naturally falls under rest. So let's talk about the rest of them here. Cover them really quickly, so we're not going to cover them uh, in massive detail. But scripture is where we get to know the character of God and the story of God and our relationship to him. So it's important to engage with scripture. We nurture our relationship with God through reading scripture regularly and perhaps even memorizing scripture that can help take the words off this page and put them into our hearts. And next week, we're going to start a lectionary-based message series called People of the Book. And that's, in some ways, allowing the word of scripture through a structured reading to shape us as we come and encounter God's word. We trust that God meets us through the power of his spirit, not just based on, you know, I'm feeling really anxious. Google prayer for anxiety. Or you're feeling really grateful. Scriptures on gratitude. I think I've done that. I do that. Okay, so full acknowledgement. All right. But I don't think that's the best way to be always just reacting to what you feel because God is meeting us all the time through his word. Now there's, and there's study. So there's just reading, but there's also study. And we can deepen our attentiveness to God, not only by reading scripture, but studying it as well. Study involves studying the meaning and the history and the context behind the text, because this is really foreign if you read it, right? Like what's going on with all these things? And why do people do such crazy things that we don't do anymore? So we need to understand what's going on there and why God came in at that moment to do what he, he did through 
the stories of the people there. And there's a great many resources to draw upon, but the first step, if, you, if this is new to you, is maybe just to pick up a study Bible, and I can talk to you and recommend a couple of them, and uh, read the footnotes and read the cross-references, and that helps put together the different pieces of this story that is really distant culturally from us now. And maybe you can take a, a seminary course. There's tons of things online. There's podcasts. Uh, participate in our adult nurture programs. Get into a small group. There's lots of different ways to study God's Word more. A third area is silence and solitude. The abbot Abingdon uh, is one of the desert fathers who was reported to have carried a stone in his mouth for three years to learn to be silent because it's very hard to be silent, right? Now, some of you might find that challenging to put a stone in your mouth for three years or even three minutes or three seconds. <laughs> Someone knows that too well, right? <laughs> the point is that silence is that uh, you might think that it's not appropriate for you, but it's very appropriate for someone you know well, right? <laughs> the point is that silence is something our culture is not very good at. It's hard to be silent. It's hard not to listen to all the voices singing happy birthday. It's hard to not allow, allow the thoughts in our minds to carry us off in different directions. But it's in silence that we are forced to confront with our inability to master our lives, to put everything under our control. And it's in silence that we are reminded of the ultimate silence, the greatest silence, which is our death. You see, when the world fades, when, our, uh, when we stand before the master of the universe, there is a sacred silence that we, would, we will all encounter. And you can incorporate silence into your daily office time or just moments through the day. It doesn't need to be three years. It can be five minutes through the day at, at several points in the day or, or 15 minutes. Maybe it just starts with 30 seconds for you. Turn off the music, turn off the podcasts, and sit in attentiveness to God's presence. Next one, simplicity. Simplicity is, is a discipline. You have to work at it. But it's about removing distractions and being unencumbered by our possessions and our attachments. Many of you probably have heard Marie Kondo and her approach to tidying up and how that's caught on because I think our society is recognizing that we often don't own our possessions as much as our possessions owning us. And the life of simplicity is about not allowing that to happen. Simplicity is about not buying the latest and the greatest technology or having your children in multiple activities to keep up with the Joneses. Simplicity is about taking uh, the call to proportional giving seriously. You see, when we tithe and we give a tenth of our income to God or whatever increase that you want to give proportional to your income, we're saying, God, you can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. And as you grow in your income, and you're saying, I'm choosing to live simplest, simplest, simply so I can be generous with what you give to me and bless others around me. Simplicity. And that's super countercultural because we're in a culture that's about accumulating and making things bigger and showing off more. 
Next one, play and recreation. First of all, it's okay to have fun. And it's a discipline sometimes for us. And again, some of you laughing at those you know that have find this hard. This discipline involves planning in regular times that allow you to find refreshment and pleasure. What do you do that brings a smile to your face when you just think about it? I see some smiles. For me, like yesterday on this bike ride out in western Maryland, play, what brings a smile is going down a hill at like 50 miles an hour and climbing to get there. For me and the kids, it's goofing around in our backyard, well, at least back in Vancouver, jumping on a trampoline or building a snow ramp from the top of our garage that goes down into the backyard to build the biggest snowballs. Instead of being known as a stodgy, no-fun group of people, what if Jesus' followers were known for being a a bunch of people who brings life wherever they go, not waging culture wars on every single issue around society. When we left Vancouver, one of the running jokes on Facebook, this Facebook group that eventually started was who would host the next Bible study, in quotes, which was essentially known as playing mafia or werewolf at our house. But we got 20 or 30 people out at, at a time to come and have Bible study. I'm not saying that. that, that so that's exclu- not, not exclusion of study in Scripture and, and reading Scripture. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, uh, service and mission. This is another one. This discipline is about asking God how we can best use our time and resources beyond our paid work and to serve others and to do something that you see is, shouldn't be the way things should be and to get involved and to give in this cause. Maybe it's stepping into the world of someone that you normally wouldn't step into and getting and hearing their stories, just like we have the opportunity with uh, the win door-knocking event or finding about global climate change, as we mentioned earlier at Hyattsville. Care for the physical body. This discipline looks at how we care for our bodies that God gave us. If you look at the quick uh, top 10 health issues for Americans, it indicates that most of those issues can be addressed through better diet and, uh, and regular physical activity. How often do we pay attention to what our bodies are feeling? Headaches? Tension? How are you sleeping? Without meds. Our bodies are often telling us to slow down and take care of ourselves. But when was the last time you went for a physical to get blood work done? and followed your doctor's suggestions. Maybe a step in this discipline for you just involves drinking water instead of soda and juice, which, by the way, don't actually quench your thirst. And make a plan to attend to your food choices and physical activity. Emotional health, this is the heart of the series that we've been talking about, and as a discipline, it's about building regular rhythms to pay attention to what you're feeling and processing them. It could start as a daily thing or something you practice in your daily office, which is, you know, multiple times in the day. And as you note your feelings, you invite God to meet you in them. And often it's helpful to journal your feelings or to talk through them with a a trusted friend or a spiritual director. 
Your emotional health is linked to growing your understanding of sexuality as a single or married person and finding resources and places for you to regularly process your emotional health is a rhythm that helps us flourish in our relationships. Family and friends. These are two important areas. Family are the, fr- are the relationships that you don't get to choose, and friends are the ones that you get to choose. And so how do we invest in those relationships in a way that blesses others and also helps us grow and find healing? And maybe family relationships or friendships are hard, and there's a lot of brokenness, but maybe God is inviting you to say, how can you be, find peace and reconciliation in those areas? Now, we've just been able to touch on a a few key disciplines in these four areas, and there are more, and sometimes they fit in different categories. Some of us find rest in serving others, so your your service and mission actually is restful. I hope that's not the only thing that you find rest in, though. Some of you like to study and, and read, and that's restful for you, so maybe that shifts over. So this is a framework, so you can just build what you do. But the point is, is to advance forward in your plan. Start with one and make progress. General Patton said, a good plan violently executed now is, a better, is better than a perfect plan next week. In this case, you don't have to get it all right before you start. In everything, just remember the purpose, to intentionally create some space and time to enjoy fellowship with God so that he can reorient and direct your ways to glorify him more and find blessing as you do so. Now, there's a number of different resources. If you want, I can refer some to you. you can, there's two books that I found helpful. One is Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, and that just talks about finding out what are ways that you actually naturally connect with God the most. And what are the strengths of those ways, and what are some of the weaknesses of those ways? And then the other side is Liturgy of the Ordinary. I just came across this recently by Kate no, no, Trish, Tish Harrison Warren. And she's just finding ways to connect with God in just like brushing your teeth, in uh, dr- shooting off emails, and all these little simple practices that we often don't think are spiritual in nature, but we can make room to pay attention to God in those routines of the day. This is the best framework for where you're at now. So I invite you to consider what you can do to nurture this love for God and to nurture this love for others as a possible framework for you. As we conclude this series on emotional health, I invite you not, to, uh, uh, not just to attend to your emotions in this message series, but to build a rhythm of attentiveness through these spiritual disciplines that help us find health in our emotions and our relationships because we find the most critical health in our relationship with the living God. Let's pray. Jesus, we can often feel overwhelmed by life. We can feel overwhelmed by what we're feeling. But we thank you that you come to us and you show us how to live. And part of that living is finding a best framework that, for our flourishing. Flourishing in our emotions, in our spirits, and in our relationships. So I pray for all of us gathered here today that your spirit would help us attend to even just one thing that we can move the needle on by your spirit's help. That we might become more like you 
And so as we become more like you, we become more the person that you've actually created us to be. And you set us free to love you and to love others radically and generously and well. We ask these things in your name.